Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I have a very exciting news for you. At least I feel excited about it. So I've been working on creating this quiz for you in past five, six months to help you troubleshoot when you are struggling with sexual challenges or if you're, you're struggling with having a sex life that you want, how can you troubleshoot around that. I created this quiz and in this quiz, you're answering several questions and it it will help you to identify what is some of the areas that you need to focus on. At the end, it gives you a paragraph and some resources on, okay, if you score high in this criteria, this is what you need to do next. Because sometimes when people come to me in my practice, they know that they, they don't have the sex life that they want but they don't know where to start. This first quiz is specifically for women. And the reason that I want it to be gender specific, that although people from different genders have several similarities when, when it comes to sexual challenges, but I noticed that it's it will be more in-depth and helpful if we create different quizzes for different genders. So the first series on women. And if you're a woman and you want to have a better sex life, I highly, highly encourage you to check out our quiz. The link is in the show notes. Today also, I have another exciting news. This is the first episode that we are launching from our shame series. Shame is one of those common emotions that I see in my practice that gets in the way of people being authentic and honest with themselves and with their partners. And although there's tons of similarity on kind of like experience of shame that people are having, but the manifestation might be different if your shame is around your body image, or if it's around the history of sexual trauma that you have, or it's related to religion. So every week in next few weeks, we're going to focus on kind of like addressing the sexual shame due to the specific challenge that people have. And we're going to make sure that we're talking about strategies. So the first one, we're going to talk about shame and self-image. So one of the number one complaints that I hear from people is that they're telling me that they feel they don't have the right body. Their body doesn't look right for sex. They're telling me this either their genital is not the right form, they, their bodies are bigger or thicker than what they think it is sexy. And they're constantly preoccupied with these thoughts and stories and they're not able to enjoy sex or have relationships that they can explore sex and sexuality in it. That's why I thought it would be a very important topic to explore. I am very excited about our guest. She's one of the psychologists that I respect a lot. Her name is Dr. Anita Johnson. She was on our episode, our guest on episode 42. Her book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, is one of my favorite books when it comes to eating disorder and issues around disordered eating. 
So she's going to tell us where are this self-image challenges coming from? And more importantly, how can we address them? And one other important thing that we are addressing in this episode is that what to do if your partner is criticizing your body? So this so far has been one of my favorite episodes from this series. As I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Johnson. She's a depth psychologist and author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, which has been published in six languages. She is the co-creator of the online course, Light of the Moon Cafe, which is an interactive workbook and a women's support circle for eating in the light of the moon. And she's the author of a book chapters and other professional journal articles. She has a very impressive bio. If you would, if you're interested to learn more about her, please make sure you're checking out her website. All of these links will be in the show notes. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Anita Johnson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am honored and excited to have Dr. Anita Johnson back on our show. Dr. Johnson, welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I am so excited to have you back for this episode. As I shared with our listeners in the past, and we talked about it, they also work with eating disorder clients. And I feel your book is uh, Eating in the Light of the Moon is, is one of the most impactful book in the field. So thank you so much for writing it. And when it comes to body shame, I, I thought, oh God, I, we got to have Dr. Johnson back on this show. <laughs> because I think it's one of the main issues that comes up a lot in my practice, not mm-hmm. only with my eating disorder clients, but with my clients who are coming in because they're struggling with their sexual health functioning. Mm-hmm. Tell us, in your experience, how body image shame affect people's lives. Well, I, I think it's really pretty pervasive, uh, especially because we live in a culture that emphasizes our physical appearance to an extraordinary degree, to the point where we are so identified with the appearance of our body that we think that's who we are. And in fact, even our language speaks to that because we might say, oh, I'm ugly or I'm toned or I'm, it's like, it's like that's as though that is who you are. So it's, it's easy for all of us to assume that our identity is in large part how we look or how we imagine we look to others. So right there, there's a bit of a setup, right? Because we're not taught that so much of who we are, the essence of who we are is even non-physical. It's, it's an energetic. So, and, and in terms of our sexuality, we don't even understand that that has to do with more with how we feel. And as a result, how we project that feeling than with our physical appearance. So the body shame comes in in a lot of different ways. For starters, we do live in a fat phobic culture that teaches us fat is bad. Mm -hmm. So that whenever we see fat on our bodies, we think, oh, that's not good. And then we feel bad about ourselves. And so right there, it, it, it begins from the time we're quite little nowadays, it, not in the culture I grew up in, but nowadays this is how it is because everything is no fat, low fat, non-fat, fat, and there's no appreciation of the value of that on our bodies and, and the beauty of that 
the, the, the rounded curves that bodies have that are beautiful. So, so that's part of it. Women get a, a double dose because what happens for girls when they start to morph into the body of a woman, that we're not taught that the body has to put on a certain amount of fat fairly quickly in order to process the progesterone that we need to start our menstrual cycle. So we're not taught that. And then what happens is we get shamed about this most profound experience. If you could really kind of pull back and think about what it, what menarche means, right? What does it mean for a girl to come into the body of a woman? Essentially, that, that all of a sudden you have the most astounding capacity, whether you choose to, to use it or not, it's a superpower to carry life itself, to create life, to create another human body. And so all of that is totally, at best, dis, you know, disregarded as like, oh, that's no big deal. At, at worst, shamed for that. So, so if, for a woman at least, her first experience of be- becoming a woman ha- has, comes with shame, then that's going to that's gonna stay with her. So it's, it's complicated, I think. I love that you talked about people's experiences with puberty and menarche. And I know many, even many adult women, they're struggling with kind of like, they just have this kind of really negative reaction to their period. And I know I probably lost half of the listeners <laughs> as we're talking about it. And I know in your book, you talked about how that can be a, a beautiful things and how women during those part of the month can be closer to their intuitive part of it. Mm-hmm. So can you tell mm-hmm. us more about that well uh, again there's so much has been lost because of the shame of you know in my mother's generation it was called the curse Mm -hmm. and so something that is so beautiful and so awe-inspiring that has to do with the body itself right it's the the concrete physical manifestation of what it means to become into the body of woman it's not greeted with celebration or ritual so that we've lost the awe and wonder. And and I think that that carries over into so many areas of our lives. If you figure that this is our first experience. Absolutely. And I love that you're focusing on this is a miracle that you will be able to create another human being. And I think also it speaks to how our culture is focused on what what sex is supposed to look like. Because right. I know many of my clients are coming and I want to be wild in bedroom, but mm-hmm. I want to look like a pre-puberty person mm-hmm. boy. And mm-hmm. how would that kind of even limit the hormonal impact, your ability to experience like sexual sexual experiences and how it impacts your hormones. So even we just don't know how would that feel inside. Well, that's what's tragic when it comes to our sexuality is that we're given images, we're blasted with images day in and day out of what sexy is supposed to look like rather than tuning into what it feels like for us. Now, I raised two daughters. They're now in their late 30s. So this was a while ago. But I remember, you know, I, I did what I needed to do to, to help them appreciate and honor their bodies and 
insulate them as best I could from other messages about their sexuality or whatever. But I remember uh, one time my daughter came back from a sleepover at a girlfriend's house and I said, oh, what did you do? And she said, oh, well, we did this and this and we watched this movie. And I went, oh my God, you watched that movie? And, and I started to realize, wow, my daughters have probably seen most of the sex acts there are before they've even had their first kiss. Mm-hmm. So what does that do to your ability to know your sexuality from the inside out? And, 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 and think about the images that we're given. They're absolutely ridiculous. So, so that maybe you'll see a scantily clad woman straddling a motorcycle, her head thrown back, her, her eyes half masked, her lips parted and wet. And it's like, really? <laughs> uh, really? If you really stop for a minute and ask yourself, is this what your, your sexuality feels like? No, it's somebody else's idea, and this idea has been used to sell cars or soap or motorcycles or whatever, and, and whether we know it or not, that gets internalized in our psyches, and the more we see of those images, the more that gets internalized, and so what happens is we may be feeling, you know, like a sexual being, but if we start to focus on our thigh gap, that's gone. Because now we've just, we've just sucked, we've gotten sucked outside of our bodies. And we're trying to, to get back in, but we're doing it now by, by objectifying our bodies because that's the message we've gotten in our culture. And so how, how can you really feel the present moment of the sexual energy within you? You can't. Such an important point because at times I get couples and, and heterosexual couples and the woman says like, you know, I want to be more expressive during sex, but it's just not, I, I haven't brought up that way. And that's okay. Some, some people more conservative and some people have a different idea of kind of sexual expressiveness, but it's my experience that many times, many of my clients, when they want the lights off, they don't wait, they, they, when they want to be underneath the blanket and all of that is just because they want to cover their body because they just scared that if the mm-hmm. partner sees like what I look like, then he wouldn't be right. or she wouldn't be attracted to me. And that that's anxiety that they have. And it has nothing right. to do with their kind of like sexual arousal template and erotic template. Not only that, but it takes you away from pleasure rather than towards pleasure. One of the things that over the last 10 years or so, I do these workshops around the country called the Four Faces of the Feminine. And in fact, I'm I'm in the process of creating an online course for this. But one of the things that we do is we look at the different phases in a woman's life uh, That's as it's represented in archetypes and fairy tales, the maiden, the mother, the queen, and the crone. And, and we look at the sexuality of those, of those arenas because it's not something that's talked about that much. But my favorite activity that I do is I, these are women's circles. I haven't done it yet with men, so I don't know what would happen there. But we divide the, the room into two groups, women over 50 and women under 50. And we have them sit in a line facing each other. And the women under 50 get to ask the older women anything they want. 
And because it's a, it's a whole group, no one is getting put on the spot. And the older women get to tell the younger women what they know now that they wished they had known when they were younger. And at first it starts off about relationships or finances, but it always goes to sex. And when it does, it's astounding. So we call the older women the Queen's Council. And what they tell the younger women about every single time I do it, it just blows my mind because it's so awesome about what they know now. One of the things that inevitably is said is that I, what I wish I knew at your age is I wish I knew that I get to set the pace. And that was, that was remarkable to me that that's always something that came up. But these voices of women with their experience have been silenced in terms of coaching and helping younger people, you know, embrace their own unique sexual nature. I love this. And what a profound story. And I think the other mm -hmm. part of it also focusing, as you mentioned, different stages and different phase of mm -hmm. femininity, because the other challenge that many of my clients have is again, going back to image, sexuality yeah. is something you have in this limited period of your life right. when your youth and body right. is at its prime. Right. And then later on, you don't, you don't deserve to have that. You right. might perhaps you're perverted if you want it. Right. And that impacts people's experiences of shame. Well, not only that, but pretty much the message over and over and over again was, it gets better when you get older. You know, you, you, you get inside your own body. Uh, you're less concerned with what you look like. You're more concerned with how you feel. You're more able to communicate that to your partner. And even if it's, even if you're your own partner, they would, they would say. Um, and so they really, it was interesting because most of us think, oh yeah, when we get older, you know, it's going to get worse. It's, no, they all said it gets better. And, no, and, I, and they wished they had known that. Such an important point. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that although many people hear that, they kind of, they're on this state of disbelief that how is it possible though, but your body will change. So mm -hmm. it's interesting that you're saying that we all hearing that, but we have this difficulty with taking it in. And mm -hmm. I think the other parts of it is people romanticizing these bodies that they see in runways and in media and in ads that they're just... Mm -hmm. 98% of people, that's not where their body usually set right. if they are eating and they're even when they're exercising. And what they at times they know, don't know about that. And I know us, we see it all the time in our practices that the bodies that are in starvation mode, most of the time they don't experience sexual desire because their body shut down. So it's or, actually or, or pleasure. Yeah. Right. Or pleasure. Right. Right. And, and I think, again, it's so unfortunate because what has happened, and I, this is something that I, I read in a book by Peggy Ornstein. And if anyone wants to read anything these days about sexuality, her, she, she's continuing her. to be an amazing writer. But this was a book she wrote called Schoolgirls. And this was, whew, probably about 20 years ago, maybe longer. And, and she talked about, there was this study done by the American Association of University Women. And they talked about how they were looking at self-esteem between boys and girls. And what they found is that across all ethnic, socioeconomic, all different factors they ruled out, 
boys and girls' self-esteem was was the same until girls hit puberty, and then girls' self-esteem plummeted, and the boys kept on going. And so she thought, wow, what is this? And at that time, she was a reporter for the Washington Post, and so she went and she followed different groups of girls, and she was sort of like a, a, a fly on the wall, just trying to see what was this about. And she went to their classes and their homes and their parties and all of that. And what she described, I remember just being astounded because I, I remembered this happening to me. I could totally relate. Is that what happens to, to, well, for all of us, we psychologists know that what true self-esteem comes from is a sense of mastery. When you go, okay, I really want this, but mm, I don't know if I can. Well, I'll, well maybe I'll try. Okay, wait, wait. I'll go, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. I, I got it. I got it. I got it, Right. So boys and girls are typically, they're looking at what they want and then try to figure out what they need to do to, to get that. But when a girl hits puberty, her whole world changes. It flips with her peers, with her family, with her teachers. And the focus is no longer on what she desires and what she needs to do to get it, but on her desirability. And boom, that's an impossibility because a desi- your desirability, that's, that's kind of like that has you focus on an ideal. And so this is something that we all, and I'm not sure how it happens to guys, but I think it is happening more and more these days. But how do you flip back from focusing on your desirability, what you look like, what you're doing, what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be feeling, blah, 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 to focusing on, okay, do I like this? Does this turn me on? Does it turn me off? Do I want to move more slowly or more quickly? And, and really tuning into your internal experience and, and focusing on what you desire, what you want, and what you don't want. And so I think that flip is a significant contributing factor to the shame issues. What an interesting concept of um, not necessarily focusing on desirability, because I think you're right Mm -hmm. that when we are focusing on our kind of sense of mastery and how, what, what we want, that's something we have control over. Mm -hmm. But if we are putting it on someone else with our desirability, it's a big part of it's out of our control and it can create this helplessness that many of at least my clients are experiencing when it comes to beauty and desirability. Mm -hmm. So I know many people, they have some awareness that this is not working for me. I tried to lose weight for years and years. Maybe I had success, maybe I haven't, but this kind of shame around my body persists. So if one want to change their relationship with their body Mm -hmm. from within, what are some of the recommendation that you have for people? Well, I think you, what I recommend is always a dialogue, never a monologue. You have to change the way you talk to yourself. But first, in order to do that, you have to notice the judgments that come up because they will. They can't not come up in the culture that we live in. We, we are really outnumbered, if you will. We're really taught to criticize ourselves and critique the way we look and all of that. So I'll give you an example just from my own life. Because, so I do, these, I do these week-long professional training retreats called Tending the Feminine Psyche. I do have one coming up to, to Greece this year. But we always have professionals, oftentimes they're eating disorder professionals, dietitians and therapists from all over that to train. And one of them, you know, had was, you know, a lot of them have had their own recovery experience. So one of them was saying, you know, I worked really hard to clear my eating disorder. And I did. And then I started working on my, on my body image. And now there's aging. 
That's right, folks. It never ends. So, so you really need to be prepared to deal with the messages from the culture because they're going to impact you. So here I was, I was getting ready to go on, in fact, I was getting ready to go uh, do a workshop on negative body image. And I was going through the checkout line in the supermarket getting, you know, my little shampoos and toothpaste and that sort of thing. And out of the corner of my eye, and this is how it happens, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this image on a magazine cover of a, of a beautiful model with a airbrushed belly in a bikini. And the first thought that popped into my head was, oh, I wish I had a belly and body like that. Now, because I'm ready for that, I have like a, a, a toolkit <laughs> that I carry with me. And so I thought, okay, I recognized uh, what was going on, that I was picking up on messages from the culture and I was interpreting them in a negative way towards my own body. And so I said to myself, Oh, well, Anita, there was a time that you kind of sort of had a body like that. You were, you were maybe 14, but how did you like your body then? Oh, I didn't. I was very critical. I had, my butt was too big or I had too many zits or whatever it was. Now, that, that, this is a strong cultural message, so it doesn't stop. So the next thing I find myself saying is, well, but I would really, I would really appreciate it if I had a body like that now. And so I'll respond with, you know, you gave birth to two amazing, incredible daughters. Would you, would you give that up to have a belly like that? Well, no, of course not. Okay. It doesn't stop. So then it's like, yeah, but think of all the cool clothes I could wear if I had a body like that. And so that's when I bring in the big guns because it's like, okay, it's time for this. And I say to myself, Anita, how would your 80-year-old self like the body you have now, <laughs> right? She'd like it very much. And so, so by now I've gone through the checkout line and I get to the front and I realize that the magazine that had caught my eye was the backside of Sports Illustrated Swimwear Edition. And I went, oh my gosh, and you were just, you were just had, but only for a couple of minutes, right? This wasn't for hours or days or weeks or decades, right? I recognized what was going on and I responded. And so this is something that I recommend to the listeners. Always a dialogue, never a monologue when, when that voice comes up and, and to respond with compassion and curiosity because it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen that you're going to feel bad about your body because it doesn't fit for what you think the culture says it should. I mean, how many of us, right, can buy a new bathing suit and stand in front of the mirror and go, yes, <laughs> <laughs> right? We can't do that. But what you can do is if you have this dialogue going on and say, okay, well, that's not bad. You know, I'm, gosh, I'm 69 years old. It's like, that's, you know that looks all right for, for you know, and, it, and it's going to allow me to swim and enjoy myself in the water. And you have to, you have to have that kind of conversation with yourself. 
I love that you are encouraging curiosity because mm. I see people are either in polar opposite at times, right? Mm-hmm. So they either see that cover mm-hmm. and they get hooked on a shame spiral that totally. thinking about all those times that they failed and they tried the diet, not right. thinking about even if I'm in the same race with this person, I have same right. responsibilities or they come like, you know, if there are therapists or people who are have some awareness around this, they kind of repress it saying that this is not impacting me and mm-hmm. they are minimizing that mm-hmm. voice and that comes up later on and uh, yeah. people can feel all sorts of things. I love that you are kind of like inviting our listeners to open the door and be curious about oh, what what is it there and kind of really examining it. Right. I love the point you made about like really thinking about your history because you're right that many eating disorder therapists are in recovery including myself and thinking about when I was really in the starvation mode what kind of a life I had Mm -hmm. whether I was able to show up for my body at all because it's my experience and and I I would assume at times similar for you that people's life is it's very very small if you mm-hmm. are go, trying to go against your like body and into bodily intuition and not eating and starving mm-hmm. because you need to be super rigid, that's not healthy. And you're right, that's, it's saying no to pleasure that you exactly. even will not be able to experience the, what's, what's surrounding you. So I love mm-hmm. that you brought up that point. And sometimes this pressure comes from culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, as you mentioned, it can come from people's kind of like, even, at, even comparing themselves. But yeah. what's interesting in the world of sex therapy, at times I experience it. Unfortunately, sometimes it comes from the partners. Yes, absolutely. And because they're in this culture too, right? So we've all been brainwashed. You got you to gotta start from that place. We've all been brainwashed. And when you start to wake up to it, it's going to really bother you when you see it in other people. And I think probably the most important thing to understand is if somebody is making negative comments about your body, it's saying something about them and where they're at, not about you. The easier said than done, right? You know, so for here, for example, here's how you can, hmm, as much as possible, protect yourself from that. So let's say I said to you, oh, whoa, what's with the color of your eyes? That's your eyes. That, that's a, such a strange color. You might look at me and go, well, okay, right? You'll be thinking, why does she care about the color of my eyes? Why is that an issue for her, right? But if I said to you, oh, is that cellulite on your thighs? Mm-hmm. It might not be as easy to go, wow, why is she making an issue of that? Because our whole culture makes an issue of that, right? But, but it's still the same thing. It's like, why would you care? about what's happening with my thighs. What's it to you that you make it your business? Because what I'm here to say is usually when someone is making your body their business, they're trying to avoid something that's going on in them that's very uncomfortable, and so they project out. So if somebody is struggling with their issues of weight, they might make 
issue with your weight, or if they're trying to distract themselves from a, a, a feeling that's really uncomfortable, they might focus on something negative with you. So that's the first thing, is to, and it's hard. This is not easy, but, it, but it, it's the truth. It is the truth. It's never about you. And even if someone says, well, I am fat, it's like, yeah, but why is that an issue for them, right? What's that about? And, and so, you know, to really know that it's about them. Second of all, is that, that your job is then to let them know how their comments affected your behavior. So if someone makes a comment, and this happened not too long ago, I had a client who's whose husband, he didn't mean to, but he said something about her weight and it had to do with with basically the position they were in and it hurt her deeply. And what she needed to say, even though he wasn't criticizing her, he commented on it. And she needed to say, and, and, and she did, she was able to go back and say, you know what, you may not be aware of this and you may not have meant it, but when you made that comment about my weight, it hurt me because it gave me the impression that you weren't being sensitive to the struggle that I'm having with it. Boom, one sentence. Now it's really not being absorbed like, mm, and it's sticking to her like Velcro, right? She becomes a little more like Teflon. And now it becomes something to talk about, her sensitivity, rather than her trying to act like, ah, it doesn't bother me, or oh, being just really ticked off at him and say, okay, I don't want anything to do with you. You, you put it out in the open because... A lot of times people will make comments not knowing that how hurtful it is. They may think, ah, eh, she doesn't like hearing it, or um, they might even think they're being helpful, as it is, certainly if they mention someone's weight. It's like, there's no way that's helpful to anybody. Someone n- knows where they're at with their weight, and if they're struggling with it, someone else mentioning it is not helpful. In fact, it's hurtful. And they need to communicate and say, you know, if you're wanting to be helpful, then what would be most helpful is you not making comments like that. So that's an important part. What a beautiful example. And I think I I see similar themes with my clients in my practice as well. First of all, I think I like that you are sharing with us that they are part of the culture, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not these are like kind of like some people think my husband or my wife is a jerk, but they are exposed to the same comment. And kind of thinking about, as you said, it's about them. And where is this coming from? Some people, it's part of their anxiety that Mm -hmm. they think like, quote unquote, everything in their life needs to be picture perfect mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be and again it's no matter we're humans and I think part of our beauty is, is like we are different and flawed and we're not this project that needs to be perfect right. so it's just not about you it's about the partner at times right. and the other piece that I feel at times similar to what you said that some of my clients the part, their partner is they're very direct and they think these feedbacks are helpful because when I, like one of my clients came in the other day, was very frustrated. I said, my husband said he's going to pay for a Tommy talk. And there was yeah. this huge argument. But mm-hmm. when we kind of explored it with the male partner, he said, like, I've, I realized that she feels uncomfortable during sex. And I thought maybe it's because of she gained weight and that would be the solution. So it was coming from him wanting to fix it versus having an issue with it. Right. And here we go, because once you're able to let the person know how their behavior affected your feelings, 
it's not necessarily going to change their behavior right off the bat because they've been conditioned also and they will unconsciously say things. And, and your job is simply to remind them, <laughs> right? You know, remember, we had this discussion and I, you know, it's important to me that you understand when you say things like that, my feelings get hurt and I shut down and I don't want to shut down around you. That's why I'm having to let you know how this is affecting my feelings. Right. And I think we give ourselves this message that I'm valued. And if someone says something that's hurtful, mm-hmm. I worth it. Therefore, I will let people know how I feel. So at least give them mm-hmm. an opportunity to not think if that's their intention. And also mm-hmm. gives me this, also gives this message that I'm not okay with you disrespecting something this valuable. Right. And, and again, to, to keep in mind that we're talking about generations of conditioning so that people are, aren't even aware that, that these kind of comments can be hurtful, especially if we've acted like it's okay, right? Because we've been conditioned to, to, we don't want to be too sensitive. We don't want to overreact. And it's like, well, you know, your, your sensitivity is a superpower, if you understand how to use it, and if you use it in a way that helps you connect rather than disconnect, then that's a valuable thing. Right. And I love that you are emphasizing communicating how it feels and set mm-hmm. boundaries and reminding people mm-hmm. because it's not only even in the bedroom that we get these messages. I, I heard all the time from my clients who really recovered from a really strong eating acute eating disorder mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. see them and like they think, oh, you, you gain weight. Let me give you this diet advice mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. okay in any other aspects of our life. But people right. think like you, you must be go you must be sad because you weight restored and this is the solution I have. Right, right. And it's unfortunate because this bias against weight has permeated everything, even the medical profession, in fact often the medical profession, when really what's what's suggested is oh what'll help you is weight loss when there isn't the research to support it. So it's everywhere and it is it's a really tough one. However, you know, in my experience, you know, those who have struggled with negative body image and have really done the work to recover, they're the people the world has been waiting for because their message is so beautiful and so powerful when they start walking the talk. Mm -hmm. Right. And And we need it. We need it desperately. Mm-hmm. And you're right that it's not only in relationships and outside, even unfortunately, as you said, medical field, like even if you mm-hmm. have a sore throat, if you have okay. a smaller body, we'll right. get a different treatment. But like right. many of my clients with larger bodies, the message they get mm-hmm. that the solution is losing weight. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why this is happening. But you're right that it's not like we are helpless in this situation. We have like, these are the experiences and external situations, but mm-hmm. we we have a control about what, how are we experiencing them by having this compassionate conversation that we can have with this negative talks that come up. And it also helps to connect. There are, uh, there's the health at every size movement. That's really an advocacy force for helping us become comfortable in the bodies that are basically our birthright, if you think about it. And, and this idea of really claiming the body that you have 
and finding pleasure with it and acceptance with it is, is sometimes it, it takes as much support as you can get. Um, so finding others that would, that would mirror that for you, especially if you've lived your whole life in a family or a culture that has given you negative messages. And, and the messages often include that you're not, you're not entitled to pleasure. Dr. Johnson, you know, I love talking about this topic <laughs> and I love uh, your message about it, but I want to make sure that uh, we're letting people know that if they want to get a hold of the content you have, whether they're therapists or clients, they know where to go for more. So tell us what are some of the places that they can gather more information about these things that we talked about? Well, there's my book, Eating in the Light of the Moon. And there's my website, which is dranitajohnston.com. And they can find me there. I do a lot of remote individual sessions, as well as I work at different treatment centers. My residential treatment center in Hawaii is called Aipono, A-I-P-O-N-O. There's another one that I consult with in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's the Integrative Life Center. And then I have my online courses, and that's lightofthemooncafe.com. So I'm all over the place, <laughs> but pretty much you can, and you can find out where I'm doing workshops at drnitajohnston.com and can get on my mailing list and I can let you know if I'm in your area. Excellent, guys. So if you didn't get a chance to write down the information, it will be in the show notes. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for coming on this show. This was an absolute treat for us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I hope you found our conversation helpful and gave you good guidance on what you can do to tackle some of the challenges that you might have around your body and your self-image. And I think it's very important to, as we talked about, kind of think about what is your shame history? At times I tell my clients that kind of think about what did you hear about sex and body growing up? What was the negative experiences you had throughout your childhood and adolescence when it comes to your self-image. So sometimes it's helpful where we are identifying our wounded younger part of ourselves, and part of our approach can be creating a healthier relationship with that part of ourselves that is still with us and also kind of taking action based on our values. And at times it takes a while for us to quiet the monster, shame monster. But if we are continuing to pushing forward, it creates a life that's worth living for us and we're incorporating pleasure at times although the shame shows up that can help you to move forward until you will find out ways to quiet the shame monster i hope again the content was useful make sure you are taking the quiz let me know what you think about the quiz and i'll talk to you guys next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.